Ken Campbell. The Seekers Podcast. Welcome to Ken Campbell, the Seekers podcast, hosted by me, Daisy Campbell, Ken's daughter, and David Bramwell. So, Daisy, why did your dad call this show Hyphenator? Ah, well, yeah, Charles Fort of Fortean Times fame, he used to say that a full stop is a lie or it's a hyphen coming straight at you. And uh, Dad took this very much to heart. He felt that uh, everything was probably linked to everything else if you looked hard enough. And so um, so this is, this is him as hyphenator, him as linker of this and that to this and that. And in this particular show, he uses the device of uh, the artwork of his parrot, Doris, to tell various tales from his life. And we'll leave it for the listener to discover how... Doris the Parrot actually created art. <laughs> there is strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. And the Arctic trails of their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The Northern Lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was the night on the marge of Lately Barge. I cremated Sam McGee. Someone you like a lot, Stein? Probably the best thing you do for them is in sunsets to get them home. On a Christmas day, we were mushing our way over the Dawson Trail. Talk of your cold through the Parker's fold, it stabbed like a driven nail. If your eyes you'd close, then the lashes froze, till sometimes you couldn't see. It wasn't much fun, but the only one to whimper was Sam McGee. And that very night, as we lay packed tight in our robes beneath the snow, the dogs were fed and the stars overhead were dancing heel and toe, he turns to me and cuts, says he. I'll cash in this trip, I guess. And if I do, I'm asking that you won't refuse my last request. Well, he seemed so low that I couldn't say no. Then he says with a kind of moan, it's the cursed cold. It's got right hold till I'm chilled, clean through to the bone. Yet take being dead, it's the awful dread of the icy grave. <laughs> the pains, I want you to swear the foul or fair. You'll cremate my last remains. Now, uh, 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 <laughs> I've got a thing. I, I, I go the Dolly Parton hole. Now I'm getting on a bit. What happens is this: every morning um, when I wake up, I can't remember the name Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> The problem is, I don't, I don't know what else is down the hole. It seems to me the best thing is that I just take it easy, you know what I mean? Like, what's her name? I've got it written up around the place here. Dolly, Dolly Parton, we're okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm 
I, 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 I was, I was um, out early in the morning trying to get money out of the hole on the wall. I said a number, and it said, no, it's not your number. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, it's not your number either. Now, I've, I've heard that you only get three shots. <laughs> What's that fucking woman's name? I can't think. <laughs> so I went and had a cappuccino. <coughs> Dolly Parton! <laughs> oh, two, one, two! Yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah. A pal's last need, of course. A pal's last need is a thing to eat, so I swore I would not fail. We started out on the street at dawn, but Christ, he looked ghastly pale. He crouched on the sleigh and he raved all day of his home in Tennessee. And by nightfall, a corpse was all that was left of Sam McGee. There wasn't a breath in that ladder death as I hurried, horror-driven, with a corpse half-hid that I couldn't get rid because of a promise given. It was lashed to the sleigh, but it seemed to say, you may tax your brawn and brains, but your promise true, and it's up to you to cremate these last remains. And then, verse upon verse, laughing around in the Arctic. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, See, um, yeah, um, our Latin master gets to recite now, Robert W's service. It's by Robert W's service. He was like this, the Latin master, his name was George Harvey Webb. And he would come in and he would teach violent Torturing Latin for ten minutes. Yeah, there. But then you could get him off the subject. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the worst doing because he, he knew everything about everything. George Harvey went it. Um, I mean, he, um, he'd been. He'd been in Hitler's youth. Just back a bit when it was kind of okay. <laughs> it worked for British intelligence in the war. And uh, he was in MI5 as well. MI5. And also he, he had known Alistair Crowley. Yeah. He, um, one day then, he, he wasn't there, he didn't come in, and he never came in again, and nobody said anything, and that was that. And, uh, and then eventually he got a new chat, and um, he didn't really know much else about much else. I mean, to get him off the subject was kind of more boring than Latin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not... He's known Robert Service, the author of um, The Shooting of Dan McGrew and The Cremation of Sam McGee. They spent a night together, apparently, in some Arctic shaman Eskimo's shed. <laughs> the door, the, the walls of which apparently were decorated with beaver and seal skin, spattered with <laughs> blood and filth and feathers. And that these artworks had talismanic powers. Now, what happened was this. It was a few years ago, my uh, daughter said, uh, I've got to get a computer, I've got to get um, Googling and all that stuff, and interneting and stuff. Uh, otherwise, I was just going to get old. And I, I kind of had the money, so I set off to do that for her. Uh, but then I found, if you're prepared to pay just a little bit extra, you can buy a parrot. <laughs> Oh, 
nice, ter terrific little uh, Afri African grey. And I, I got it. And I said, so what are we going to call you? And he said, Doris. Yeah, yeah, terrific. I mean, yeah, talks. I taught it sort of biography. Uh, you have to teach it in short little bursts, but you can do it, uh, do it story so far, as I this. Um, I used to be a nig. <laughs> and I axed out, didn't I? All fluffy at first, then my feathers. I was in a pet shop for a while, then Ken bought me. That's as far as we got. <laughs> And then she, um, she started producing artwork. Um, I gave her bits of paper, see? And she, I call these the pictures. <laughs> Worth having a look in the interval, there's a, uh, a terrific Jesus there in his crown of, crown of thorns. Up there, the pictures, and there's this, uh, there's some more pictures, a picture plus filth up there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, stuff like this. A morning cherub. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Doris. Um, well, um, I invited the great publicist, Mark Bulkowski, round to see Doris's art. And he said, this is big. <laughs> he said, this is big. He said, he said we'll have a gallery showing. He said, for Christ's sake, don't let anything go cheap. What kind of prices? He said, let nothing go under three grand. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've got loads of this. I just, I, she's got a whole room to herself now. No, I live in here every price. I laugh, fake all around, and she gets, gets on with it. So she's really producing. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I tell you what, he, um, the gallery showing is to come, uh, <clears throat> but he did get he did get this film work for me and Doris. It was extraordinary. Cobra Beer were to be promoting movies on some channel or other on that telly, and um, that, uh, to help promote their promotings, they were running a five-second amateur film competition. <laughs> you had to send me a five-second movie and, uh, and thing. Anyway, so I think Mark Wolkowski was working, I think, on that, uh, on that account. And um, so um, he sent around, did you know about this? There are professional amateurs. Because <laughs> there isn't enough good amateur stuff coming into those kind of programs. Did you see? So you've got professional amateurs. Anyway, so there's some professional amateurs around. They're great guys. Um, to, make, to make ten five-second movies of me and Doris the Parrot and her art, you see. Anyway, they were, they were damn fine, these little films. But the understanding was I would be paid, curiously, the same amount as I paid for Doris. I would be paid that on the understanding that none of my films would win, you see. <laughs> Terrific. But then it turns out that... The um, managing director, or whatever it is, of, of Cobra Beer, the top man of Cobra Beer, is an Indian gentleman. And it's his um, dream that he's going to become the first Indian-born Prime Minister of Great Britain. And he said, he said, uh, uh, that art of Doris the Parrot is too controversial. <laughs> 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 My prejudice 
Mrs. Johnson being Prime Minister. I suppose what you're talking about, because I was showing some of her little work, for example, like this one, the, the bombing of Baghdad. <laughs> The Irish problem. <laughs> you can clearly see, look, a complete map of Britain now, which is exuding brown filth over it now. I green Yeah. When I was still at school, I was still at school and I went to the Royal Court Theatre uh, to see Look Back in Anger, the first performances, one of the first performances of Look Back in Anger, and was stunned by it. Well, by the message of the piece, it turns out that if you're prepared to be sufficiently rude, by well, like incredibly rude, fine women like Mary Yule will fall in love with you. <laughs> you've got to keep it going, you've got to keep it going. Oh, no. Who's it keep it going? And if they need to bugger off for a short while, they'll leave their best friend for you to fill in. And, and even if they've um, had a miscarriage, they'll say, keep it up, keep it up. Don't. <laughs> So around about the same time I went to uh, the Theatre Royal Stratford East to see um, one of the first performances of Joan Littlewood's production of Brendan Bayer's The Hostage. Christ, that was good. And at The Hostage, there was incredible violin playing, incredible fiddle playing, the wildest of fiddle music coming to the wings. And at the end of that night's performance, there was a demand from the audience that we find out who had been playing this fantastic old Irish film, it was beyond. And onto the stage came the Latin master, George Harvey Webb. <laughs> <laughs> oh. anyway, so I went round the back to the stage door to congratulate him on his performance. Anyway, it turned out that Mr. Webb was hosting that night a cast party at his place. And he invited me. And he was good enough to bring my dad up to say I'd be okay. Man, it was the party. I mean, these, these guys were putting away a drink. James Booth, he was there. And I don't know like that. Wow. And anyway, to keep up with these fun people, I got as pissed as, as fast as I could there. Uh, and then, inspired by Look Back in Anger, there was Anne Beach, the actress Anne Beach was there. And I was wonderfully rude to her. And she socked me. And as I came to, I thought, oh, wow, a show business life for me. <laughs> I'd like to call your attention to this little one. I'd like to do this one uh, before the interval. Because uh, it's one of the ones that might get overlooked. It's a lovely little piece. You need to come and have a look at it close. I'll just show the folk at the front here. Let's see. Um, well, what it is, it seems to me, is actually, it's this old photograph. But it's like it's gone on. It's like a few years later. That's, that's not a no, that's, that's, um, you know, the parrot, did, the parrot didn't do this. This is... This is <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's my daughter with a little dog called Werner. Yeah? What am I to see? She's now got a daughter. My daughter's got a daughter who's twice that age now. So it's, it's long ago that. But the parrot seems to have kind of done it. But here's Daisy now. Look, she's standing there. But it's like she's got a skirt over her jeans. And, and there's little Werner jumping up. <laughs> Well, 
old name for a dog. It came about from this guy, outrageous betrayal. The dark journey of Werner Erhard from S to exile. Back in the 70s, uh, he was well known, this guy, he's forgotten now. Werner Erhardt. Man, what a terrific guy. He ran an outfit called Erhardt Seminars Trainings. And it was um, how to be a more remarkable person, two weekends, two savagely long, violent, violent they were, weekends. How to be a more remarkable person. Erhardt Seminars Trainings. You had to pay a hell of a lot of money out. I went and did it at the... Uh, uh, the, the hotel at Victoria, the Victoria Palace Hotel, and something like that. And I did it. Anyway, I thought it was brilliant. You know, it's some kind of a new, wonderful branch of show business. <laughs> anyway, while I was watching it, I was inspired to think that I could run one of these and would rather like to. But I thought, what I called mine, I'll call mine Jest. Do you know what I mean? And I, I sort of conceived how I could take a, a, a lighter route to enlightenment. Yeah? And I, I, I produced, before the end of the two weekends, I produced, oh, here we are, a little leaflet. It was kind of like a takeoff of their own leaflet, the, the, the Jest leaflet for. Um, what is the purpose of the Jest training? The purpose of the Jest training is to transform your ability to sense the ludicrous in everything. That every situation you find yourself in is seen to be the jape of the century. Ken Campbell, founder of Jest, said, Sometimes people get the notion that the purpose of Jest is to make you a comedian. It's not. I have to think that you are hysterically funny the way you are. Seeing how tragic they were instead of how comic they are. Army of the Eastern, and like that. And I got um, around about 15 tables who were prepared to come out of my place and be experimenting. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, I want to cut to the bit where uh, I, I got them all. They all had paper bags on their heads for some purpose. They were sitting there with large carrier bags on their heads, paper ones. And then there was a ring at the doorbell. And there were these. Um, little kids, really little kids, and they saved a load of puppies from drowning. And um, they, they were knocking on doors to see if anyone wanted one. They saved them out the uh, Regent's Park Canal. I said, well, there's quite a, quite a few people here. You can come and show your puppies to them if you like. Anyway, so I took these little lads and they brought these in. And there were 15 grown-ups all the <laughs> And they were little, they were kind of streetwise kids, you know how they're making it, right, you know what they um, Anyway, they put their puppies in the middle of the sofa. I said, okay, you can take your bags off now. <laughs> anyway, did anyone want one? Did you know, nobody took one. Nobody ever. And I said to the kids, I said, well, which is the best one? He said, he said, we think that one there. I said, well, if you want, you can leave that one here if you want. And they, they did, they just left it. Left it with me and went uh, 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 on the way to knock on more doors. Anyway, there was a woman who did come to my chest thing called Tina Packer. I mean, a few of you might remember her. Tina Packer, she was kind of a theatrical woman. Uh, but she was ahead of me in the est business because she'd done her rest before me over in San Francisco, where I'd have to wait till the guy come there, see. Anyway, she came. 
Anyway, at the end of it, she said, that was a very, she actually has funny R's. She said, that was a very uh, irresponsible thing to do. I said, what was? She said, taking that puppy on. She said, she said your jest workshop was going very well. <laughs> she said, and then it brought the puppy in and she had all got sloppy. And then she said, in any case, you're not going to look after it. I just said, I said, gee, how do you know we're not going to look after the thing or not? And she said, well, what are you going to call it? And I said, Werner. <laughs> oh, she was shocked. <laughs> she said, you, you can't, it's a bitch. I said, well, I'm going. <laughs> so I just annoyed Tina Packer. I really looked after that dog. <laughs> I was breeding ferrets at the time, and so I knew like, 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 the, the dog has got to be tough, do you know what I mean? So I st stuck it out, uh, out, out the back uh, with, a, with a ferret, so they were in their cages, so out the back. But then one night, when he was making a hell of a racket, the puppy was, wow, and it was really loud, and I was worried that the neighbours were going to complain, wow, so like, and then I said, no, 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 it's got, wow, it got loud, wow, wow, wow. Anyway, when I went in there, two of the ferrets had got out, and there was a little puppy, and it had discovered that if it went wah, 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 and opening and closing, it said wah, wah, wah. As long as it kept doing that, you wouldn't get eaten at that moment by a ferret. <laughs> 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 oh, come on. Wah, wah, didn't stop. Wah, wah, took it inside. Wah, wah, still going, hell of a noise. Wah, wah, when actually just so. Dim down the noise a bit, turn down the noise a bit. I, I put it um, in the bottom of my bed under all the sheets and everything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I put it in the morning. In the morning, it, it was never able to raise one ear because that, that, that muscle that deals with you can prick your it had been eaten by a ferret. <laughs> But after that, it was absolutely perfect. It didn't have to be trained or anything. It's all <laughs> then, uh, when it had its Liverpool puppies, it had puppies in uh, Liverpool when I was doing the Illuminatus. And uh, it was. Uh, and it, it, had all, it had all kinds of puppies. Because um, there were many fathers. It had, been, it had had many fathers, and I think they banged up a bit. It had, uh, there was a brindle puppy, there were two Labradors, two golden Labradors. This is a little black and white dog, mongrel dog, this. And they had um, two, two Labradors, a whippet. Dog with white socks. And when, uh, when the puppies got to be about um, know, seven or eight weeks old, what she did were, like the mutt, was she lined them all up like this and raced in and attacked them. <laughs> it was like what she was doing, saying, Yeah, but what would you learn? A ferret came at you. Ferrets come with the kids like you in the right way. of a kids' show at the arts every day. It was a month's run, that thing. 
and it had to play, it was a real part that was. It, was, it was in seven scenes, playing a dog called Fritz, and um, it, was, it was set in uh, Nazi times, it was about kids escaping from Nazis, and it had to eat a meal on stage, and it had to uh, you know, act being in a boat, <laughs> but the, the greatest thing was, she went to work on her own. <laughs> what would happen is the uh, taxi would come, <laughs> and the taxi would take her off, and I'd do it. There was many scenes, and she'd stay for a biscuit and a bone with the fans, and then the taxi home. <laughs> 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 When she was round, when she was round about fifteen, she started to dig a hole. This was no ordinary hole. This is the kind of hole that a badger might do, a fox might. This was tunnelling she was into. All right. And then one afternoon, she went down the hole and wouldn't come up. I mean, she could simply come up, uh, but she wouldn't come up. And it went on, and it started to get late. And it dawned on me what had probably happened here. This dog was perfect, perfect little animal. But it was so perfect, obviously, that it had dug its own grave and gone down to die quietly in it. And so I got a sleeping bag and I spent the night out there with my hand down the hole, like that. And a bit of life maybe, but cold, like that. And I came in that morning and uh, I said to my daughter, that's okay, you, uh, you don't have to go to school today. Uh, let's, have, let's have another picture, another, uh, uh, yeah, some, yeah, maybe there's one that looks uh, cheerier. Uh, what the heck? That was the green one. The yellow and the green one. Alright, we'll do that. Yeah, and a great one. Yeah, this is um, this is Doris's picture of two dogs uh, of um, more recent times, kind of now times. That's Max and Gertie. Uh, that's Gertie. That's Gertie, Max's mother. Uh, they are, and uh, there, there's um, her picture of Max. Here's a proper here's a proper photo of Max there with his cup. Yeah, I mean some some say. It was the cup that done it for him. Mother say it was Princess Anne. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, Gertie, she was a, she was a dog. My daughter, my daughter said I needed a dog that did things. I don't. I, I, I got just an old dog at that time called Fred, and he really did little. He was probably. Uh, uh, oh, 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 I tell you what, Fred had a great time because little Werner, I got him at the same time, time in Werner's last year, I acquired him, it was a, you know, the dog that was just roaming around, roaming around. And, and Werner had developed, um, developed this uh, thing where she um, uh, was on heat all the time, she never came off heat, but, 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 but without getting pregnant. God, man! That's so Fred was screwing all around the place all the time. Doing everything, but then I heard. I don't know. That's Fred. I had Fred, but he got old now, and all that screwing around and wearing. I thought, hey, my day. Fuck, that's me. That's me. And so anyway, Daisy, my daughter said, I've got to get a dog that did things. It was kind of her fault all this. I needed a dog that did things now. And so I was looking through the, the um, ads in Loot for dogs, maybe, that did things. <laughs> and there was an ad there of a gypsy, I said, there's never a gypsy cross, this. It's the cross of uh, a lurcher uh, with a sheepdog, a lurcher with a commie. 
I mean, I'm, uh, I rang up the bloke about this. He said, that's right. He said, he said, no, the purpose of these dogs is like, race out, kill something and bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and uh, you know, and they, 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 they do things. Yeah, they do things. And um, they, they weren't kept in a house. It was like a line of dogs that weren't kept in houses. Um, and, uh, and so when I got there, uh, they were in a lorry. And on the way, I thought, if one wants to come, I'll have it. If one wants me, it can come. And so when I opened the door of the lorry, whoa, I caught it all up there. I said, whoa, you, you seem to want to come. I said, well, I'll take this one. Yeah, this one wants to come. And it's a bitch. And I, and I, and I, um, I called her Gertie. I called her Gertie. I thought because I got her young, you know what I mean? Like, maybe I could uh, persuade her off racing out and killing stuff and bringing it back. Back. The neighbour was very alarmed, not a big dog, she was alarmed. She said, that's a wild animal you've got there. Look at the way it walks, look at the smell it. And, um, anyway, its first um, prey seemed to be motorbikes. Race out, get a motorbike. Anyway, then um, uh, she got knocked up by a wandering Labrador. It was a Labrador, well it was half a Labrador, it was half Labrador. And it was owned by somebody, but only used to call in once a week. This was, um, I was living in the valley beneath Stamford Hill on the Walthamstone Marshes. And, um, uh, yeah, yeah, she got knocked up. And she had, uh, she had these, uh, these puppies, one of which was Max. Well, I managed to get rid of Max. It went, went off to Ireland with this geezer. Uh, but then he brought it back six months later. He came all the way from China to bring the thing back. He couldn't, he couldn't cope with it. So, no, no, anyway, so... <coughs> a fella up, up the road, about four, day, four doors from me, a fella called David. So she had his Sergeant Davies of the Met, as it happened. Anyway, Sergeant Davies of the Met and his family, they had a dog. And their dog was uh, a spaniel, actually, quite a nice animal, called Guinness. Anyway, Guinness, um, unlike my dogs, they've been to proper training school, you know, they're pretty good. They're going, they're not in control. But he really wasn't trained at all, and he used to dive, dive over everyone's fences. And he used to come dive over coming out and run around inside mine. I didn't really mind this, let me tell you, but I thought, I don't mind doing that. And so I raised my fences. Once I'd raised the fences, then Max and the David dog Guinness became enemies. And every time David went for fences. One time when I'm over on the rugby pitch just behind the house, uh, I'm over one side of it, suddenly Max dies off to go and attack Guinness the dog and put a hole in its ear. And then it was Good Friday about three years ago, and I was coming, I've got the dog with Max and Gertie, I'm coming out of the rugby pitch, then into Springfield Park, and then I see there's Davis there, and this is uh, two, two uh, young boys, his young, his young sons. And uh, they, they, they were running most of the dogs. And uh, so I thought, better call them in now. And, uh, but I couldn't see Guinness. I said, to, I said to Davis, where's Guinness? He said, I've lost him. But that suddenly took Max's attention, this. And he looked round, and there was Davis, no Guinness, but there was Davis and the two Davis boys. And I swear, the dog mutated. Yeah, his face changed, the hair went up on his back, and he walked very differently, slowly, deliberately, and ignored any call by me now. And he went round the back of the two boys. It was very unhinging, this whole business. And then to
the, 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 the tape cut out here, Seekers, at a rather pivotal moment. But basically, Max bit the copper in the ankle and he decided to press charges. Well done under the, under the uh, Dangerous Dog Act. This is the latest Dangerous Dog Act, what's called the Pit Bull Act. And I got, um, I managed to get a solicitor who only does dog trials. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, you probably don't realise the uh, pickle you're in here. He said, if things go wrong for you, he said, you could wind up spending two years in jail. I said, really? I said, listen, I said, back, back, I don't think it bit him. I think his own dog probably bit him, is, is, is what happened. And he's blaming me. He said, look, he said, if you like, he said, he said, we'll go in and challenge it like, uh, like that. He said, let me tell you that. He said, in courts, despite what you might think, policemen are believed. <laughs> <laughs> he said, your best route, said the solicitor, he said, have your dog put down now. He said, then I might be able to get you off the whole thing if you do that. I said, no, no, I wasn't going to do that. He said, listen to me. He said, only 4% of dogs survive this. 96% are going to get put down. I said, well, how do you get your dog to be one of those 4%? He said, well, I knew that. He said, I've been rich. He said, it, he said it happens on a whim, occasionally. He said, if you want to go that route, he said, let me give you this advice. Do everything you can think of. Actually, he stressed it like this. Do everything that you can think of. He said, then when they take a doll off you, he said, at least you'll be able to say, well, I did everything that I could think of. <laughs> 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 and I started to like, this suddenly became inspiring. I mean, it, it, it seemed like, um, like the trial wouldn't be for six months or something. Do everything that you can think of. So I spent every day thinking of yet more things, what I could do, everything, what's the extent of all this, everything. Everything I could do. Um, I got, I got a phone number and the address of a dog psychiatrist who cost a lot of money. And I thought, wow, and obviously if you pay him all that money, what'll happen? I'll take your dogs a lot. I don't have to go there long. I go, man, these are terrific dogs, you know. Yeah, I need to write a letter to that effect. And that'll be that done. Anyway, I went to show him the dogs. He said, Christ, you've got dodgy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Website, so I didn't really go to see him again. Uh, then I, then uh, I heard about Brentwood. Out of Brentwood, they got the Essex Dog Training Centre, and he also got there's also there the Essex Dog Display Team. This incredible shit on display team uh, they got, which is uh, pretty much all rescue dogs in it. But even though they're all mongrels and everything and stuff, they get to perform crafts. Anyway, we're at the Essex Dog Training Centre. Man, this is heavyweight stuff. It's not like a domestic training at all there. And they'll train their dog up for anything, whatever you want. Police dogs are a lot going there. Roy and Andy, they're the guys. Anyway, they've been running out for years. Anyway, I told them I told them my tale. Okay, they said, well, let's uh, assess your dogs for aggression. So they involved Andy, who's a big geezer anyway. Andy now talks up with all this panic like he's so like Michelin man. He, he's got gauntlets on and a visor, right? I mean, this little cop round. And there's like, there's, there's, there's big dog seats. You know, man, Max and Gertie there, man, what's going on? Well, anyway, Andy's got the, uh, has the ability to piss off dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a bit like um, 
It's a bit in a spastic on certain emotions. Spastic, actually. Like that. Whoa, man, that dog's wet. Four, and on camera, we got it. Gertie, the mother, delivers 17 would be lethal bites to the throat. In comes Max, seven, right there. They said to me, yeah, they said, um, uh, what you've got here is a killing machine. Like I said, it's like the dogs have fallen themselves into a two-dog. Like I said, but actually, I said, in fact, with you, it's a pack of three, but unfortunately, you are not the leader. <laughs> so, yeah, I said, I, 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 I said, I said, listen, look, look, I said, look, these animals do what I tell them absolutely 90% of the time. They said, no, no. They don't know what you tell them any percent of the time. <laughs> what it happens is it's going through the mother who's the pack leader. Yeah? And then she says, she, she likes your ideas. <laughs> something in it, maybe the dogs will do it. So you notice she always does it a bit, a bit later. A few seconds later, she showed the other Max, who's a, who's a governor here. They said, said regarding Max, they said, mate, maybe he'd have been, he'd have been all right if he hadn't have fallen, into, fallen into bad company so young. By his mum. They said, anyway, because Max was the one that was in trouble, and they said, um, okay, you say they train, let's see you walk Max to heel, okay? Which I did, and he was terrific. Heel, right? I mean, absolutely lovely. Heel, and then I said, uh, and then they said, turn to sit. I said, sit, and he sat beautifully. And they went, ooh. I said, what's the matter? You know, sit. What? Don't sat. They said, look at his foot, and he sat with one foot. This one, like his right front paw was over that foot. And they said, that's dog for I'm ahead of you in the packing order. Yeah. So it's the mother, Max, then you. And I said, look, they said, now to get in here, when we say sit, he's got to sit with both his feet there, behind your toe, okay? And I was about to do it, I said, hold on. And they made me put these big, heavy gauntlets on to walk my little dog, which he does so on. Okay, heel, right? Sit! Incredible! So then I, I had to sign up for their heavyweight aggression program. I mean, this is real stern stuff. You wouldn't believe the monstrous dogs some people have got. They always be muzzled up to a Hannibal Lecter. And then so you don't progress out of that until you can control your dogs absolutely amidst all this mayhem. And then we moved Max, because he was the one in trouble here. We moved him into. Agility, you know where they jump over stuff through hoops and all that and that. They moved him in there, which he loved. And they got very exotic agility there for the display team, like burning hoops and all that. Anyway, he loved it first game, didn't have to be trained to do it. It's like I was put there for him, you absolutely want to do this stuff. Boom, boom, boom. And so my job was to be able to stop him at any moment. Right here, hold it! You don't go through the burning hoop yet. And uh, that kind of thing. And, uh, he got awarded this cup for it. It's called the Barney, the Barney Cup. He won it for um, agility. Standing work, isn't it? 
charity itself. It's a big cup. I mean, it's one of those big cups that you that you have to give back. Oh, here's another thing I thought to do. I rang the solicitor. I said, "How about if I move?" How about if I sell my house and move? He said, that's a good one. <laughs> he said, that's a good one. He said, but you would actually have to have done it by the time we get to court. He said, it would be good, though. He said, you'd at least have to exchange contracts. You don't even go to court saying you've got plans and moving. You've got to do it. Um, he said, then we can say, it's only ever liked to invite Davis of the mayor. And now, you know, you've moved. Yeah, terrific. So it's not easy to sell your house quick. Uh, but I managed, managed to find some man who I don't think ever saw it. But anyway, he ran up and agreed to buy it and thing. They went through the, the solicitor. And the exchange of contracts was due for the very morning of the trial, the dog trial in the afternoon. But there'd been a little hiccup when um, a cynic lady called Hannah, she was not, no, no, she was from Mossad, I think. Anyway, she thought she might like it for her daughter. Uh, the place offered another 10 grand. And I ran up the original geezer, I said, I've been offered another 10 grand. I'm going to take it. He said, I'll match it. I'll find so it went to here. So I'm waiting for his first call in the morning, and Mossad Hannah comes round again, offering me another 10,000 pounds. Well, I said, Yeah, okay, yeah. If you've got it now, if you've got to pay that money, deposit money, I suppose it must have been. You've got to pay that right now, yes, it's yours. She said, that'd be so ridiculous. She said, tomorrow, Thursday, actually. Couldn't possibly be done. I said, well, no, no case that. Out you go. Because the thing was, I wasn't selling a house for any other reason. But to save, save Max, if I could, it was for him. Because I had this notion that if I could enter the court, it would be like, I had this feeling of being kind of like Joan of Arc or something. Do you mean? If I could enter the court completely pure, the man who had done, Everything you don't get to take your dog on incidentally, but you can, if you have one, take their car. And so, anyway, the solicitor said, he said we were appearing before a lady judge. He said, it's not one that I've appeared in front of before. He said, they told me she's uh, straight down the line. He said, I don't know how it'll go. Okay, so we didn't there. Anyway, first thing she said, she's looking at the cup. She said, what's that? And the solicitor uh, took control now. He said, it's the Barney Cup, ma'am. He said, uh, Max the dog is a very distinguished animal in the realm of canine agility. <laughs> she said, well, why did this uh, remarkable dog bite this particular man? And he said, far be it from me, ma'am, to claim I know the reasoning of dogs. <laughs> he said, but experts have suggested at the time of the unfortunate encounter, Max the dog made the assumption that Mr. Davis was Mr. Campbell's enemy. She said, well, why would it have done that? Was Mr. Davis acting in a menacing manner? He said, he's a policeman, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> he said, were you to find yourself able to grant Max the dog his life, he said, he would be performing in two weeks' time at Earl's Court. He's been offered a place in the Essex Dog Display Team. And this was true. Roy had said, if he gets through that trial, he said, if he gets off, he can appear at Earl's Court, the Essex Dog Display Team, he said. I mean, his notion was that, that at best, I, uh, I would get uh, leave to appeal. And Roy had been really good. He produced a little film about him, about <coughs> good Max was ready, ready for the appeal. But she said, I permit him his life. She said. And she um, gave me a £50 fine 
And if for Davis, we'd seen this, uh, um, he, he got 50 quid. 50. I, listen, I'd been into him. I said, I'd offered him a thousand to drop all this. Anyway, he got 50. She said, show me the photo of, uh, of the dog. Can I see a photo of the dog? She said, oh, I know these dogs, she said. These are the kind of dogs they use for, for rounding up cattle. She said, he, he said, he was probably just trying to move him along. <laughs> Downstairs there, I had my Barclay card ready to pay me 100 quid now. And um, the solicitor just holding me for a moment. He said, Don't, he said, Don't pay just for a moment. He said, I want you to just boggle with me, he said, because I've never seen a trial go like that. <laughs> I mean, the thing was, I knew why it was because I was the man who had done everything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it was really Anyway, I. Uh, I made the money. Oh, well, I thought it was cool. It was terrific. I had to go along the we trainer, and he did a special event. Max the dog and um, Roy over the loudspeaker. You can't really hear what they're saying. But anyway, he gave the story of Max and how they, you know, like they did their great work at the Essex Dog Training Centre. They got it. And then when we got, we got the, um, the 15, 15 dog trainers, dog owners there. They all had to roll their thing like that and make a whole, a whole tunnel of legs. <laughs> And Max the dog had to run from one without biting it. <laughs> anyway, it was great, uh, Max, uh, getting off like that and everything. And uh, I hadn't decided, you see, I hadn't decided where I'd be moving because I didn't know where I wanted to move. I'd been putting Max down, I wasn't really at all sure where I wanted to go. Anyway, I took the dogs around and I said, where do you want to be now? And they chose Epping Forest, so that was easy. I just went round and round Epping Forest many times and I found a little wooden house, a little wooden chalet house at Epping Forest there. And uh, we moved in there and Doris, I had Doris the Parrot, Doris the Parrot, she got a whole little room to herself, her own studio, plus Heath Robinson apparatus, so she could follow the whole activity of the house, you know, that, you know um, uh, flying away, so that was good. I was going to whip through some of these quick. Uh, this, this, this is the hat, okay, that's the hat. What, what happened was when uh, Mark Borkowski uh, wanted you know, to do these gallery shows he was talking about, I thought it'd be rather good if I got my, my suit made appropriate for the occasion. So I, I, I sat the suit um, in, in with Doris and she decorated and I thought I'd do my hat as well. And um, I said, did it, but then she did it. it. It became such a work of art, I couldn't, I couldn't bear to think it. So there it is, it's, it's the hat. I mean, it's, it's quite a bit, a bit above the three grand mark. <laughs> I have to tell you. Yeah, um, hyphenator. Hank Hamill. Hyphenator. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it, um, it turns out he's actually um, a medical condition. Um, and then it's called apophenia. Apophenia. Apophenix are people who find uh, links and connections between them where there are none. These are all apophenics. And um, when I look around all the crap at my place that I've accumulated, an enormous amount of my purchases are apophenic in nature. For example, here's a very recent one. Um, 
Floss. It's a little little book for kids. It's slightly too young for my granddaughter. And you see it, Floss. It's got uh, a dog there leaning over a gate. And also you get a free walker bear when you buy this book. It all came together. So I'm like, I was at my... Um, I was at my dentist. They're very nice, she is my dentist, I have to say. But she, she said to me, you don't floss, do you? I said, no. She said, why not? I said, well, because I come from a generation who, do, who don't floss. We don't floss. I don't have flossing up a car. I mean, you don't have getting up early, you know. <laughs> she, said, well, she said, I'll tell you what we do for you. She said, we do, we do these. Uh, and you can see that it's just like a little Y-shaped, uh, like a, a little plastic catapult, actually. And a little bit of floss there, so it's just getting out, and then you go, and then, 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 they don't, they don't stop themselves with plastic bags to, you know, pick up, pick up the dough. They don't. They, they don't. Okay, so I suppose it's in their heads. It's what happens. It's all right, the dogs will shit in the forest, everything will be fine. But they don't, half the dogs don't shit in the forest. Where they shit is right outside my house. Manchester, who, who painted luminous paint on um, chewing gum in the road and all that. You know, to alert and shock the people in, into, into doing it. Anyway, <laughs> if you stick one of these into, into a turf like that, it kind of looks like a snake. <laughs> <laughs>
guys, what you do is you go, um, in, in art shops, in the kids' section, they have self-stick eyes, but, but, but they don't stick to dogs here. What you've got to do is you've got to um, stick them onto a drawing pin. You're not flossing the dentist. You're not flossing the dentist. Said tossing her long and heavy black hair, and because you're not, a lot of rot is laying your dentine bare. She wore ankle socks and sold me a box of plastic Y-shaped flossers. Admiring her bum, I swore I'd become one of UK's flossing tossers. <laughs> Don't know about you, but I think dog poo should be bagged up and dumped into bins. Then Shazam, I saw how Shockador might rid my road of these sins. I'd paint the turds as snakes and birds shot down by the gun of a sniper. And sometimes I'd stoop and poke into the poop used flossers as tunnels of a viper. <laughs> I'd dirt paint at night well out of sight when everyone's in bed and I thought I would be best in a hood with a head torch on my head. And in two hours or less, I'd magic the mess of nine adjoining roads into teddy bear bodies, big ears and noddies. And some turds I turned into toads. <laughs> with glue and fluff and additional stuff, like a packet of self-stick eyes, eyes pre-stuck to a pin so that pushing them in don't give you a pooey surprise. Oh yes, this art will be famous, but I'm not giving my neighbours the genius behind it. A gift to a city, and really a pity somehow, if some arsehole had signed it. Then <laughs> a knock at the door, and my shock at all, as the policeman said with a smile. This is not an arrest, sir, but our inquiry suggests, sir, you're the local poodophile. <laughs> Semester, you know, I was presented by Eskimos in Newfoundland. Isn't it sad, actually? I, I uh, bought it at great expense in Camden Lock Market <laughs> uh, for an apophenic purpose. But then I forgot what the purpose was. <laughs> Like the lost hyphen this represents. I mean, I wear it quite a bit, hoping it'll come to me. But, oh, I wear it like, like, like around the house. I don't, I don't know. I don't go to Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Well, we better, we better move on. What else have we done? Oh, yeah, this is uh, this is. Do this one, that's a nice one. Here, you, here you're going to see, I mean, you have to look at it in a certain way, and then it'll come to you, uh, what that is, this one here. It's Michael Fagan lurking behind the Queen's bed, preparatory to sitting on it. Um, there's the Queen in her nighty in the bed, lying on her back there, and there's, uh, there's Michael Fagan. Uh, when uh, it was all in the papers, this guy Michael Fagan had sat on the Queen's bed, in an instant he became my hero. I went out and I bought every newspaper, every day I was writing every newspaper and there was more and more about this extraordinary visit of this guy. Breaking into Buckingham Palace, finding the Queen's bedroom, going into the Queen's bedroom, meeting up with a Queen there. 
and then uh, having a little chat together, and then she saying something like that. I mean, nigga, nothing get you, Michael. He said, I could do with a cigarette. She said, What do you smoke? He said, Senior service. So she rings down to security, and they say, Yes. She said, Queen here, could you send me out a packet of senior service, please? And then down in the security, they said, Oh, that was a queen. She was a packet of senior services. I was like, I was And so they carried on, apparently, chatting together. And then, uh, then it was time for him to go, and he was, uh, he was escorted. Oh, man, man, what a hero. And then we read in the paper that wasn't his first visit. He had been on other occasions there. Not much about that. And then I was alerted to the fact he was coming up to his trial at the Old Bailey and I went there really early. I was about number nine in the queue there to go and watch the trial of Michael Fagan. Man, was it terrific. It was packed in there. And uh, I was sitting three rows behind Michael Fagan's mum. Right? Anyway, Michael came in. There's, a, there's a, um, a line in Robert's services, the shooting of Dan McGrew, when the guy comes into the bar. And he says this the poet, he says, his eyes went rubbering round the room. And I, I've always thought that's a great line, but I've not quite known what it meant. His eyes went rubbering round the room. <sighs> and I saw the entrance of Michael Fagan, and his eyes went rubbering round the room. <laughs> and he has this ability, Michael Fagan, doing it It's like, like when his face lights on yours, he doesn't realize an instant satiric mirroring of what you look like. <laughs>
that at the time of drinking the wine, he did not realise that the act of drinking it would deprive the rightful owner of it. <laughs> well, it's terrific in the dock. When, 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 he, when he came up into the witness box, Michael Fagan, it was most peculiar. He put on a strange act. Yeah. It wasn't like that a lot. It was a lot of things. Anyway, it turned out that the whole thing had been because he loved her. He loved her majesty, but in a pure way. He had, he had pledged his allegiance to her. And he was appalled loving her so much, her majesty. Uh, the way, you know, the way she's not looked after properly, you know. Uh, you know, there's limits to any arsehole, like, for example, himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Sit on a bed, and I'm anyway, that was the thing. Anyway, we get to it. It didn't last all that long. And then the judge said to the jury, he said, Look, he said, I don't think it's going to take 12 um, intelligent ladies and gentlemen very long to come to the opinion that Michael Fagan must have realised that the act of drinking the wine, the act of drinking it, must be depriving the rightful owner of it. Out you go, he said. They were out for 10, 15 minutes and they came back and they said, not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> I said, yes, okay, let's start. She looked up, I've done the hat, where else are we? Okay, we do, do uh, chins and I've got the sheep. Uh, Sheep look up, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, sometimes to me, it looks like uh, George Harvey Webb, I must say, George Harvey Webb, the, the Latin master, but it, it, it isn't. What it is, that's, um, there's a picture Doris has done there. Next to Jesus, I hope you looked at the Jesus. She does, uh, she does those, uh, she does those pictures very fast. Things like that, that takes a few weeks. And, um, it's Mr. Chins. Mr. Chins, now, when Gertie, Gertie, Max's mother, there she is, when she had her puppies, there was one which was enormous. They were all kind of regular little puppies, and there was one bigger. They were all little black dogs, and, and little black puppies, but that's why it wasn't. It had a little white mark there, and I called that guy Mr. Chins. And I kind of always wanted to have one day a big dog. And so Gertie delivered it. It was most peculiar. And it, it grew bigger, it grew bigger and bigger, Mr. Chins. And I, I kept Mr. Chins and uh, he was always with me. And then Max was brought back. And then it turned out that poor old Mr. Chins was epileptic. It really it does your head in. Owning an epileptic dog. I mean you have to join the self, you know, the um, association of epileptic dog owners. Because nobody knows quite what to do and it's deranged. The dogs get to have visions of things. And um, I remember it was uh, yeah, Mr. Chins, it was the around at the time I was in art. Do you remember that program art? It's around three geezers. And one geezer buys a, a, a white painting. It's about three friends. They kind of fall out and come together weirdly over this white, all white painting the geezers bought. Anyway, um, they, 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 they were changing the cast on this thing every three months. And they got John Fortune to agree to be in it and Warren Mitchell. And they asked Warren Mitchell who he wanted for the third person. And Warren said, me. He said, I want Ken Campbell. And they said, oh, crap. And, and, and anyway, they were like, oh, I'm like, okay. 
And then they actually offered me the part, and I went to see it, and I read the script, I thought, oh, Jesus, I don't know if I can do it, you see, because I, I can't really learn lines that well these days. This, this guy's got a three-and-a-half-page speech, which is traditionally delivered at breakneck speed. I thought, oh, God. And then he's got to spend ten pages crying, weeping there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought about the weeping bit. And I thought, well, it's time to do it. I've always avoided that kind of thing, but it's time to do it, do you know what I mean? And I was working on techniques and studying, you know, like, and, um, you know, you know, sad things, and make myself kind of see what the face is that you're doing. And ten pages, like, oh, gee. Like that. Anyway, I thought, yeah, that's all right, but the whole thing is this long speech. Could I learn it? Anyway, I held off saying yes, to accepting this job, until I'd learned it. I learned the speech, said, yeah, anyway, so I was in it. But then uh, the, um... Rehearsals of it. Now, you know, I shame, I didn't know when we got to the ten pages, I was showing weeping. I was you know, I do it like this. And, and, and the way it's staged is I'd be sitting there, and the other two guys are down there talking to each other, you see, while I weep for ten pages. I know. And they said, no, 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 no. It's always done like this. It's the guy cries <laughs> like that for ten pages. I'm <laughs> really? I said, yeah. I said, well, they put me up. Anyway, and I'll show what I could do, you know. And Warren Mitchell said, look, we can't act with you doing that. They were playing really well, and I, I, so I, I, I didn't fuss um, about that. I used the way the thing got going, and I enjoyed it. But um, as I used to come up the, the escalators at Leicester Square, they have a picture, they used to have a picture of the three people that are in art at the moment. And there was John Fortune, and there was my mature, and then there was, then it was me as I went up. And um, over the days when they, when they went up, um, Warren Mitchell was getting lots of chewing gum. <laughs> <laughs> he got, he got lots. John Fortune had got, you know, a good number, and I really got none. <laughs> and I said, I thought, just start chewing and had a few of that, and had a few of mine. And then Warren Mitchell had seen this, I've seen uh, David Hare. David Hare had been to Palestine, and David Hare was doing a similar evening to the kind I do, like these kind of evenings. He was doing one about his trip to Palestine. And Warren Mitchell got, got um, a video of it, and he was very keen that I saw it anyway, but, and he kept asking me, have you seen it? I said, no, no, no. Anyway, it was Saturday morning, I thought, well, I better watch the thing now, so today I shall say yes. And I, 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 I put it on, and I, and I was uh, watching it. And, and uh, then Max came in from the garden, Max the dog, and it was like he wanted me to go out. And I said, oh my God, I've got to watch this David Hare thing. And I was watching him, watching my Max was in. I said, oh, it's off. And I was watching, uh, watching David Hare. And then, uh, then I went out in the garden. And what had happened out there was that uh, uh, Mr. Chins um, must have had a fit. He'd had an epileptic fit. And, and, and had drowned in a little shallow pond. He drowned. Oh, God, I got my mate. Um, Sean round this wonderful Sean. It's after the dogs, and I'm doing things like this. And Sean came, and, and, and we dug this. It was about to dig a deep, yeah, pit to get this big animal into. And um, I went off to uh, to do the matinee, and at the matinee of art, what I did when we got to the ten pages, I went I saw it. And I just sat there like that. And I thought about Mr. Chins, and I, I, I started to design when I was sitting there uh, a memorial service to it. 
in which I wish I'd wear a wolf headdress and everything and give readings from a call the wild <coughs> stuff like that. And as I thought about that, I just sat there, not doing anything remarkable, except I could feel the tears plunging and the dampening of the fine suit they bought me to wear while playing in art. And um, at the end of the two shows, Warren Mitchell said nothing. And John Fortune came up and said, it was a privilege to be on stage with you tonight. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I bought a bit of bubble gum and I chewed it up and, and as I went down, I applied a chewing gum tear to my pit. <laughs> <laughs> then it came to time when I got a phone call from someone calling herself Boo! I said, Boo? She said, Yeah, Boo Webb. I am Boo, yeah, of course. I said, George Harvey went to Lady Monster's daughter. Boo! Ah! And because I had this thing that I was going to do was to ring up everybody um, in my address book, whose name I couldn't think of who they were. Ring them up and say, Who are you? And I'd come to this bit in my address book where it said 1300. I said, Who is that? Who's 1300? Of course, it's Boo. And um, anyway. <laughs> me up to tell me that um, her father was going to be dying that week and if I wanted to see him at all I ought to get uh, speedily over to the Hampstead Hospice. Anyway, so I, I, I went and um, he was, he was in bed, George, he actually looked, looked very smiley, I thought he still knew quite a lot about quite a lot and I said goodbye. But then uh, when I went there um, later in the week, uh, Boo said well, he's, he's uh, lapsed into a coma now. She said, uh, she said, look, they do think that he may well hear what you're saying, but he's in a camera, it's not thought he would come out of it. But she said, if you'd like to, you could, um, uh, you know, go in and talk to him. So I decided, I tried to look like that's just absolutely what I'd love to be doing. And yeah, and I went in, and it's, um, that's quite a weird business, this. Till we came to the marge of Lake Libage, and a derelict ship there lay. It was caught in the ice, and I saw it a trice. It was called the Alice May. And I looked at it, and I thought of it, and I looked at my frozen chart. Then here, said I with a sudden cry, is my crematorium. Some planks I tore from the cabin floor and I lit the boiler fire. Some coal I found that was lying around and I heaped the fuel higher. The flames just saw the furnace roared such a blaze you seldom see. And I burrowed a hole in the glowing coal and I stuffed in Sam McGee. And I made a hike for I didn't like to hear him sizzle so. <laughs> and the heavens scowled, the huskies howled and the wind began to blow. I do not know how long in the snow I wrestled with grisly fear. But the stars came out and they danced about, and again I ventured near. I was sick with dread, but I bravely said, I'll just take a peek inside. I guess he's cooked. It's time I looked. Then the door I opened wide, and Sam sat up, looking cool and calm in the heart of a furnace roar. He wore a smile, you could see a mile, and he said, shut a fucking door! <laughs>
I said, so, so you, you didn't sit on the Queen's bed then? He said, would you sit on the Queen's bed if you just shit yourself? <laughs> that led the Rosers to me with their allegations. These philosophers are rare, and in our air, yeah, only sold by one dentist to patients. The nursery school had run on that some fool had given their parents the shakes by painting dog shit with such art and wit that the parents had thought they were snakes. That's not funny, is it? <laughs> The nursery school had rung that some fool had given their parents the shakes by painting dog shit with such art and wit that the kiddies had thought they were cakes. <laughs> there we go. Ken Campbell, The Seekers Podcast, was produced and presented by Daisy Campbell and David Bramwell, with kind permission from the Ken Campbell Estate. Music was by Horton Jupiter. It was funded by Arts Council England. The disembodied voice of Ken was Jeremy Stockwell. <laughs> <laughs>